The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 212 for Monday, July 27th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome back to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. And that is John Braun. Last I checked in Fairfield, Connecticut. You know, Pete and I were, uh, so Dave, we were on vacation. You know, Pete and I, we tried to pull something together, but honestly, he didn't know which button to press on, the, <laughs> on your board. And it's just, uh, so we just decided to all just take a little rest. And actually, Pete, he's off uh, where he's in Pilot Spain. Pete is in Spain, I, I believe, from his, from his Twitter stream. I, I believe everything to, I read on Twitter, by the way. Uh, it's like the internet. It's all true. It's all true. Yeah. But Pete's doing sangria and uh, paella, and uh, or at least I asked him to, so I hope he will. Cool. Yeah, it took a it took a week off. We were up at uh, Lake Winnipesaukee, which was is only really about an hour hour and a quarter from the house here. But uh, spent a nice week on on the lake, and uh, you know, I so they have satellite internet uh, out there on the lake, John. Yeah. <laughs> I've talked about this before. And this time I brought the MiFi up and uh, man, my father-in-law was totally blown away because satellite has like a, it, you know, the speeds were about the same between the satellite Internet and the MiFi. But um, it's the latency on that satellite that'll kill you. It's like 2000 yeah. millisecond ping times. That's two seconds. Oh, it's a satellite. It's far of course. Away. So uh, yeah. where's this again? What, what state? In New Hampshire. It, oh, it, it is in New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but probably, but 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 apparently they have three G coverage. From what you're telling me, Verizon right? does. AT, there was no three G uh, coverage for AT and T, but Verizon did for the MiFi, oh, and right. you know, so the speeds were comparable to the satellite. You know, a meg down, somewhere between half and a full meg up, which is fine. You know, uh, but uh, but it was you know the hundred millisecond latency on the on the MiFi compared to the you know two, two seconds. seconds. <laughs> yeah. it, it was you know you might as well just. Not even bother. Well, what I did, though, was I I because um, the my file only serve five devices uh, on its own. Right. right. And and they have they've got one house and then they, they bought the house next door. And so we I, I mentioned it last year. We ran a cable between the two properties. And so we've got wireless routers in either place that share the satellite. So I, of course, using my favorite DD dash WRT firmware, I put it in uh, wireless repeater mode. So it grabbed the signal from the MiFi and then shared that amongst all of the uh, machines, both at the their house and then at the point house. So uh, so they were very sad when I took the MiFi away. The problem is they were using more bandwidth than uh, would be economical with the with the MiFi. But I get the feeling that my father in law may not care. Uh, and even if his bandwidth bills are upwards of five or 600 bucks a month for the couple of months that he's there in the summer, he may, oh, he may hey. just go for it. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. there, what a five gig, what, what's their, so do it, they that, have a monthly cap? They've got a five gig cap on the $60 a month plan with the my five. Okay. Wow. And, and I don't we, think I remember that. My guess is he would use that in about 10 yeah. to 15 days. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, it was a fun little experiment. And, uh, now, something we should talk about at some point in the future. Uh, yeah, little tangent. Sorry, folks, it happens. But um, I've seen some stuff online about discrepancies between the bandwidth that people were under the impression they were consuming and the bandwidth reported by the provider. Right. 
Or you say, well, my router says, and, and you can use various utilities to measure this. Um, well, the, the my Wi-Fi router's... itself measures it, but it says right in the web interface, uh, don't trust these numbers. You got to log into your Verizon account to to truly get the uh, you know the numbers out of it. Okay. okay. To my point is that different people or devices or locations measure bandwidth differently. So you may say, I use the gig, and they're like, well, no, you use ten. So right. cough over the dough, and it's like, well, who's right? And how? Yeah. So right. something uh, I'd like to get one and just to, you know, try, try to flirt with that issue because it sounds like a handy device. It's awesome. It really, I, you know, we were blown away. The one issue that we had was that it did keep um, disconnecting. And I think it was because, you know, we may have been uh, even though the signal strength said it was, you know, four or five bars. Anytime we checked, I, I get the feeling we were at the edge of the EVDO service uh, range. And sometimes it would just disconnect. There were times where it stayed connected for hours and then other times it would disconnect, you know, five times an hour, which can be a little frustrating. My, my father-in-law, his business is down in, in uh, Florida. So he was remote accessing, you know, remote desktop essentially is what he was doing to get in. And of course, when you lose your connection, well, that, you know, it's not like email where it just sort of recovers or web browsing and it just recovers with a remote desktop connection. You got to start that whole sucker up again. So, uh, yeah. You of know. course, you know, any meter on a device lies. Of course. You know, right. they just change the, oh, let's make it say five bars just to make the customers happy. That's right. Yeah, I'm well, kidding, a- but AT&T, I wish I wasn't. AT&T talked about this where they, they basically said that, you know, with their system, the number of bars is not necessarily the strength of the signal, but it's it's the the chance that you have of making a call <laughs> that that really, I mean, this is what it came out to be. It was like, so you can play the lottery with this. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. So I got three out of five chance of making a call. What the heck is that? Well, those, those are probably not bad. Odds. No, they are. at least not in Vegas. Right. Okay. Let's, uh, that's right. You're better than the house. Uh, so yeah, we have a, a relatively normal show here, but we've got weeks of stuff stacked up and we won't get to it all. I guarantee you. Uh, but, uh, we'll start off with, well, we won't start off. We will move into, uh, you know what? Let's, let's talk about our first sponsor for the show, John. Yes. Audio engine at audio engine, makes all sorts of products dealing with, you guessed it, audio, uh, I wanted to talk about the A5 speakers. This is their flagship product. Uh, these are bookshelf speakers, a little bit bigger than desktop speakers. If you want desktop speakers, you go for the A2 speakers, which are a little bit smaller, but still pack a decent sound. The uh, A5s are $349 for the pair. These are separate speakers. These are the speakers that John and I both have on the desk that I believe we're using now. I, they certainly are on my desk. Are they on the one that you're using at the moment, John? Mm-hmm. No, mine are in the uh, the party room because oh, that's where you. they belong. Yes, that's where they belong. Oh, yeah. Excellent. And you can they've got standard uh, mini eight inputs. So you can hook these up to just about anything, either directly or with an adapter. They come with a whole big set of cables. They also have a USB port on the top so you can charge your iPod or iPhone uh, while you're listening to music. So, uh, you know, they totally self-contained. Uh, self-powered speakers you need to obviously plug them into a wall but they have their own amplifiers and uh, totally balanced to match the uh, enclosures that they're in two speakers in each enclosure a a woofer and a tweeter they really deliver it's warm full sound uh, and as john can attest they fill up his party room very well one thing that has been added now we've had audio engine as a sponsor for for years on this show 
And they have now given us the opportunity to share a discount with all of you. Maybe it's because of the Econolypse. Maybe it's just because they're nice guys. Maybe it's because they want to be nice to you. Or maybe it's all three. But uh, if you use the code M-G-G-T-E-N, that is, uh, uh, boy, I'm, I'm I'm missing Pete here for my NATO phonetic alphabet. That's Mike George George Tango Echo Echo November. November. Yep. Uh, You get 10% off. So it's MGG 10, but make sure you spell out the word 10 and you get 10% off any order you place there. So 349 comes down to about 315 and uh, they have a 30 day audition where you can download, (laughs) you can order these speakers uh, (laughs) and try them out for 30 days. And if you don't like them, you send them back and they'll give you your money back. So that's all at AudioEngineUSA.com. And from there, we will move into Johnny with an eye disc issue. I think I clicked the button. You know, is it going to go? No, it's not going to go. This is splendid. It's, it's coming to get me, John. It knows that I'm back from vacation and uh, it's coming to get me. Got it right here. I'm going to pull it up again. I closed the file. I'm opening the file. Go, Johnny. Hey guys, great show. Uh, calling with a problem I have with an older PowerBook G4 12-inch that I've not been able to sort out. Uh, it's running 10 for 11, and lately, in the last, I don't know, month or two, if I try to shut it down with the iDisc mounted, it hangs, the menu goes away, uh, the screen still shows the background image, but basically it'll stay there forever or until the battery runs down. If I force it to shut down by holding down the power key and restart it and look in the console, um, there are messages about basically the iDisc is not responding, and I believe that's what's causing it to hang up when it shuts down. If I manually unmount the iDisc and then shut it down, it seems to shut down normally. I've not been able to figure out what to do other than manually unmount the iDisc before I shut it down every time. Uh, Unfortunately, sometimes I forget, and uh, it'll start to shut down, and then the screen will go blank just from the power saver, and I think it's shut down, but it's actually not shut down, and it keeps running until the battery's dead, and then when I try to restart it, it won't restart because the battery's dead. It's kind of annoying. If you could shed any light on this, uh, appreciate it. Thanks. All right, John, you want to uh, you want to take a crack at this one? I'll open with a couple of things, and then uh, yeah, as we often do, we collaborate on this. So, I was going through this question, and I put a little note in my notes saying, "Is there a process for unbounding volumes?" Because that really, I would say, <laughs> off the cuff, that's the problem here it's trying to ditch this volume and it, and it just can't get rid of it so it just sits there forever and ever trying it'd be nice if it timed out um so there's a command to do that and then i'll, I'll mention something that i thought of when i was uh, actually uh, digging a bit deeper during the the playback but there is something that, that i think you found dave called discutil unmount yep slash volumes slash idisc whatever the name of it is well okay so so let's let's expand that a bit so the the command line utility is disk util d-i-s-k-u-t-i-l all one word Mm -hmm. and then the format of the command to use it to unmount is disk util space unmount again all lowercase and then slash volumes with a capital v and then slash i lowercase i 
uppercase D and then lowercase ISK. In on my machine, I have iDisc and I also have a volume called uh, Dave Hamilton, which is my Mac, uh, my my mobile huh. username. So I have both of them out there, but I That's have weird. I Go keep on, a but... local copy of my iDisc. I have iDisc syncing turned uh... on. So I think that's why I have slash volume slash iDisc. It, yes. I'm guessing for you, John, you only have your mobile me uh, account name and you do not have a slash volume slash iDisc. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the okay. one little thing I want to mention is that when I saw this, I noticed. So, yeah, I have Macintosh HD, which is, you know, I use the default there. Sure. And then my iDisc name. What I noticed is that and, and you probably did too but but if you go into the terminal and you do a directory on this they have very different permissions and also owners and groups and all of that stuff my only suggestion is if you're seeing this sort of weird stuff happening yep you might as well verify and or repair your permissions it could be that oh, that I yeah okay Just speculating because so i look at this and i see that the permissions are are kind of um unique i mean it should get rid of it i mean now that i'm looking i think it's just a world permission the first well was well, a d and then an rwx uh permission because okay. it's actually a directory and so you do not have an entry for idisk is that right john because i do not do a local sync which is exactly because i was wondering i'm like why are you seeing that i'm like did, were you typing this uh, as as a substitute or do you see that and the thing is you see that because you do this i do not do the sync thing that's interesting because in looking at it, all it is is a symbolic link. So it's an alias, a right. Unix alias. IDISK on in my slash volumes folder points to uh, slash volumes slash Dave Hamilton. Uh, hmm. Just like uh, Rouge, which is the name of the hard drive on this machine, is just a symbolic link to slash, which is of course the local hard drive. Um, so I'm surprised hmm. that it that they that it, that that sim link isn't there. But suffice to say, what I have seen happen in this volumes folder is it can get confused and what can happen is once it mounts the volume it attaches it here so if you have you know let's say i have my drobo right which is which i called stuff okay and in my volumes folder i have an entry called stuff now if i had a piece of software that was built to just automatically write to slash volume slash stuff slash uh dave's files right if I unmounted my Drobo and then I ran this program that went to go and write to volume stuff, Dave's files, it would write to slash volume slash stuff slash Dave's files in on my root hard drive on my built in hard drive. If stuff wasn't mounted, it would create a folder called stuff that would no longer be a pointer to the uh, drive the, to the Drobo. It would be just a folder and the computer would really have no way of knowing the difference until it went to mount the Drobo. And when it went to mount the Drobo, it might say, okay, I'm going to go attach this and put a entry in stuff in uh, volumes for stuff. And it would say, Oh, that exists. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the Drobo attached to slash volume slash stuff space one. And you can create multiple folders for the same drive and things can get a little confused because of that. Uh, I wonder if that's part of what's going on here for Johnny and, what I do in that scenario, and you have to be very careful about this, is eject all the disks I can, eject the iDisk, eject anything except for my root hard drive. And if there's one disk I can eject, I make note of it. Then I go into slash volumes and delete anything that's not related to a currently mounted disk. 
Um, that may help. You might have, you know, if, if your uh, if your iDisc is named Johnny, you might have slash volume slash Johnny and then slash volume slash Johnny space one. And that might be part of the issue. I don't know. I, I kind of like your permissions thing, though, John. I, I think that that's likely more down the, uh, yeah, the avenue. If it's getting got. stuck there, this may help it get unstuck. But the other thing I noticed is that now I forget the exact. I think you mentioned it, but. Sometimes when you see a volume getting mounted with its name and like a suffix, yep. I don't know if the Mac does, you know, you know, per n one, per n two, or copy just of just a or, space but, space one, space two, yeah. space three. Okay, that's it. yep. That that's a sign, as I think you hinted, that yeah, things are starting to fall apart. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you know, why are you adding this? Now? I mean, it's a it's a smart thing to do, right. so it doesn't potentially clobber something that maybe shouldn't be clobber, but then right. yeah, it kind of spirals out of control and then you're, you're yeah. Yep. And I've seen this happen with time machine stores as well. You know, my, my time machine volume is called milestones and on most of my machines now it's called milestones dash one. I guess that's mm-hmm. it. It's a dash. It's not a space. It's a dash right. one. Uh, and you know, eventually I just go in and clean that up, but then you get a repoint and it, it, get, it gets confusing. So yeah, maybe that helps Johnny. Let us, uh, let us know. Evan is up next. Evan writes, one of my favorite features of iPhone OS 3.0 is notes syncing, but I have a question about it. Every time I create notes on the iPod or iPhone and I go back to sync them to the Mac, I get a prompt whether I want to sync notes or cancel because it changes more than 5% of the data on the computer. I click sync and then it works fine. I'm just wondering if there is any way to make it sync notes automatically without having to be bothered by the pop up. I remember seeing an option for this somewhere in something's preferences before, but for the life of me, I just can't find that setting anywhere. I've looked in mobile me as well as many others. Any help you can give remembering where that setting would be great. Okay. Uh, John, you, you, uh, you, we've talked about this on the show before, but you found the answer this oh, time. Oh man. Yeah. And it's in a, it, it makes he, sense he once our, you find it. He was like, well, no, I don't think it does that they should really move this because a lot of prefs in a lot of, uh, yeah. Apple uh, applications tend to be duplicated or move around as they watch users kind of struggle and flounder and not not find it. In this case, you got to go to iSync. Yes, I said iSync, and most people will be like, "iSync? What? Do I even use that?" Which you may not, but there's a setting in there if you go to iSync uh, preferences. Then there's a heading, protect your data on this computer, which is a good thing, I think. And then there's a checkbox on a setting called show data change alert when and then there is a pull down and the pull down here or whatever type of list you want to call it the choices are and i think it defaults to more than five percent but the choices are any which i would not recommend because it's going to be pestering you forever or you could say more than five twenty five or fifty percent now i kind of like this setting because sometimes if you are you know mixing different devices or calendars or schedules you may not want to blow away your entire calendar. So some of these higher threshold settings, like 50%, if you're going to be changing everything in your calendar, you may want to think twice as to whether that's really what you want to do. Right. Because <laughs> uh, I would say more often than not, when that happens, that, that could lead to, to you know major unhappiness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, w- one thing that's worth mentioning is this is a global setting for all of sync services. Yeah. So you're not, you don't have the opportunity to set it just for notes. You know, you can't set notes to 50% and calendars to 5%. It is everything gets this same setting. So I like you, John, I, 
you know, I, I think on most of my machines, I've bumped it up to 10 or, or uh, I don't know if you can do 10, but whatever the next notch up from five, 25, is. 25 yeah. yeah. And, and that it's way, like, like you said, if something is going to clobber a substantial portion of any one of your data stores, it's going to warn you. But otherwise, you know, if it's six or seven percent, uh, you know, come on, just go. Especially as you build up notes, you know, I, I had this issue with Yojimbo years ago when I first started using it. It complained on all. And I did not know about this setting at the time. I found it months later. And, and I think we talked about it here. But, uh, it, you know, it pestered me for a while. But then it got to the point where, you know, three three changes out of a thousand, uh, you know, entries in Yojimbo wasn't enough to. <laughs> well, no, it just got, you know, the data store built up to the point where five percent was no longer you know, ever being hit. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. So that depending on how you manage your notes, that may also happen. I mean, if you get you know, if you're if you're changing three notes, well, you know, once you get above and math is failing me today, but uh, once you get above uh, the five, right or so, then that's above five percent and you're good to go. I think that's right. Yeah. Once you get above 60. Right. That's that's uh, that would do it. Sure. Yeah. All right, uh, Jeanette. Jeanette. I'm finding Jeanette. Jeanette. Speak of you, Jimbo. Here it comes. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if you could recommend a couple of apps. First, I am looking for one I can set to record screen activity, something that does not have a time limit and can save the video once I stop it. Second, I was wondering if you know of a good app I can install to activate the eyesight and record while the screensaver is activated. More for monitoring purposes. Uh, if there are free apps that can accomplish what I want, I'd be great, but I'm willing to pay a reasonable price as well. Okay. Uh, question number one, screen recording. John, go. My answer, and I have been using this for ages, and I love these guys. Snaps Pro from Ambrosia. Ambrosia yep. just rocks. And, and actually, uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the head cheese there, I think, actually... Uh, Lived uh, lived near me when I was a, a wee lad, but uh, they also got a cool parrot. I think they have a parrot cam now for Hector. Okay, uh, but they make awesome software, and so Snaps Pro has different. Uh, I, I I believe they still have different versions. One that just does pictures, and one that does pictures and movies, or maybe they've just rolled it all up into one. Uh, Snaps. No, Pro. it's it's all one. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm thinking of the. They the used past. to have yeah. They used to have Snaps and Snaps Pro, I believe, and Pro did video, whereas Snaps did not. But I think now it's all in one. So, okay, yep. but they're great. That that's a tried and true utility for both pictures and uh, and doing movies of uh, of uh, what's happening on your screen. And then you have uh, one that you've used, Dave. Well, like. I I I will. Uh, you know I've of. used Snaps Pro, and and that's the one that I use yeah. uh, constantly. But there is something called ScreenFlow, and I have seen uh, demos done with ScreenFlow, and it's cool because you can highlight where the mouse is. There, there's some additional things, whereas Snaps is built to do a lot of different things, including, uh, you know, image capture. And you can, you know, Snaps is cool because you can do like a, you know, a, a static, you know, JPEG or PNG grab, and then you can have it put a little shadow around it and save it in whatever color format you want. ScreenFlow is built primarily for doing exactly what Jeanette wants. Now, Snaps uh, Pro 10 is 69 bucks. ScreenFlow is 99. But uh, but there are some very cool things that that ScreenFlow does, and uh, you can you can highlight different things and really sort of interact with ScreenFlow while you're creating these. Both of them will allow you to record your audio, so you could walk someone through. 
uh, and then send them the video and they'll hear your voice as recorded by your Max microphone or whatever microphone you choose. And then uh, and then also see what you did. But uh, but definitely worth checking them out. We'll put links to both in the show notes. The screen flow is from Telestream.net. And uh, as you said, John, Snaps Pro is from AmbrosiaSW.com. So, yeah. And I use them almost every article that and I just wrote an article today, but I use them constantly both for they have a feature that lets you identify a portion of the screen to take a picture. Usually I use this for making an icon or they identify objects. So if there's a window or something, you just click on that and it does a snapshot and puts it in your pictures folder in addition to movies and doing the whole screen. But it's, it's really just, uh, I mean, I, I, I couldn't imagine writing an article that has any graphics without using them. Cause I always do. Uh, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a little tangent here, John, both, whoa, whoa, both, whoa. <laughs> both to instruct you and teach our listeners. So you said for using, for creating an icon, uh, you, used uh, uh, snaps pro to snap a, a picture of the apps logo perhaps well uh, in mac os 10 most apps come with very high resolution versions of their logo as their icon that you see in the finder and you can go and grab a copy of that what you do is you go into the finder you do a get info on your uh, on the application and then you highlight in the upper left hand corner you highlight the apps icon Go to the edit menu and choose copy or simply do command right. C. Then you go into preview and you do a new from clipboard and you will see you have usually four different sizes of the icon and you can grab any one of these out of there and save it uh, as a PNG or whatever you like to the desktop. That's what we use a lot of times for article images. Uh, if we're, you know, if we were going to talk about, you know, say snaps pro, we would go and grab their icon that way and do it. Um, and interesting. Uh, yep. So I, I, I share that with you, John, because it'll I'll, help for TMO articles. And I share it with the listeners because there's infinite uses for things like this. So. I'll try it because what I did is that I, I think a lot of our icons are 80 by 80. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I went into the finder, yep. went to uh, view options, I think, oh, and said make the icon size 80 by 80. And then <laughs> that works. Just because I wasn't sure, no. But you bring up a good tip. Well, I the good, the good the part package. about the good part about doing yeah. it this way is you get it as a transparent image, uh, which that was handy. Yeah. Now you know what we should talk about this here because um, I'm pretty I'm pretty proud of what we did at TMO. We rolled this out the, pretty much the day I I left for vacation. Oh, so yeah. back on the 17th, we we changed the homepage at TMO, and uh, but the goal was to go back to having the headlines as the kind of the focus of the homepage. We had, we had gotten into having the news briefs being the default and, uh, and it was just getting too cluttered. There was too much data out there. You couldn't find the articles. And, and so we wanted to move to that, but we, we wanted to continue to be able to feature more than just one or two articles uh, on, on the homepage, which was kind of what led us to our previous design. And the idea was to use kind of a la iTunes, uh, where you see at the top in the podcast directory or whatever, you see the kind of those rotating images. Well, the idea was to do that uh, for TMO, but to make it automated so that we didn't have to create new images for every article we wanted to highlight. And so Stephen Swift uh, took that and ran with it and created what you see there. Um, the one thing that we can't do yet is we can't sense whether an image is transparent or not. And it's because... Uh, the image magic, which is the library that we're using to do this on the back end, 
does not yet have that, but it's in a pre-release build. So we're hoping that uh, that we'll get that soon. That's why I point out the uh, the transparent part, John, because we'll start being able to do some very cool things with the images uh, nice. that we once we can sense whether or not they're transparent. But yeah, Stephen then also took it a step further. And, uh, you know, you get your list of headlines, but if you want to see the news brief for any given headline, you can just click on it and it sort of slides down and shows you the news brief yeah. or you can do it when it hovers. And he's got all these different settings and he really, he, he knocked it out of the park with that one. I'm, I'm no, really that's awesome. I liked it. At first I was like, where's all the eye candy? Right. And I'm like, you know what? Do I really need the eye candy all the time? Maybe no. I want to get high bandwidth and find out what the news is. Right. And and this layout does it. So, uh, yeah. And if you want the eye candy, you can just set it to, to show you the news briefs all the time. And it will, you know, it's all it's all still there. But uh, but I think it's better off. So uh, kudos to the uh, to the TMO team for taking the vision and, and making it happen. Jeff Gamut helped to design the uh, the of course, the, the, the kind of the layout of the of the those those teaser blocks or news brief blocks or whatever you call them. But Jeff makes things that look pretty. He does. Functional. You know, too. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yep. All right. So speaking right. of cool apps, uh, we have a new sponsor for the show, uh, and that is Cocotech at Cocotech.com. And the product that we're talking about from them is Pathfinder. Now, I have heard about Pathfinder for years. Uh, it is people talk about it as, oh, it's a it's a finder replacement. You know, yeah, the last thing I need is, you know, to replace something I completely rely on all the time. Well, I installed this today for the first time because I wanted to be able to talk intelligently about it. It's pretty darn cool. Uh, it, the idea is imagine taking the finder and then integrating it with the coolest features, the most useful UI features from both say Safari and iTunes. Now uh, you can use tabs. So you can have one finder window that has multiple tabs windows in tabs right so you can kind of keep that all together dude like safari like safari awesome. right like uh it. you can have a bookmarks bar a la safari so you can and it's t of course totally customizable so you can click on uh you know you can have your little list of things on the left that that you know you still have but if you always find yourself going somewhere you can have a little bookmarks bar at the top and you hit that and boom it brings you there It'll also do a uh, double paned view so you can have two different folders open at once. But there's one thing that really hit me and it's called drop stack. And the idea behind drop stack, you know, when you're in a folder, John, and you say, "Ooh, I want to copy this file or, or, you know, this folder that's in here, this subfolder to somewhere else. Well, usually you either have to drag it out to the desktop and then go navigate to where you want it to go and then drag it in or open another finder window or drag it on top of your hard drive icon. Wait for that to spring load open and then you're kind of holding the button down and it gets really awkward and all that. Well, they have what's called the drop stack. And what you do is you take what you want and you put it on the drop stack and the drop stack kind of lives over on the left. And uh, and then it sits there and it is a stack. So you could pile five things up there and it stacks them up. One, two, three, four, five. And then you go to where you want to put it. And you renavigate, and then you drag it off the drop stack five four three two one in that order, and uh, it boom, it just pulls them right off and moves them. Doesn't copy. Well, of course, it'll copy if you're doing uh, um, if you you know between volumes. But if it's all on the same volume, it will just move the file just like you had dragged it in the Finder, and really makes that smooth. It you know, like I said, I installed it today. Have not had an opportunity to use it uh, long term, but. I plan to continue testing it tomorrow. 
Also has terminal integration, so you can just get to the right to the terminal. In fact, you can even have a little breakout window with the terminal in the bottom. Pathfinder is available from CocoTech.com. Uh, it is, um, it, you get a, a 30-day free trial if you like. A new license is $39.95. If you happen to own an older copy that you bought since July 1st of last year, you can upgrade for free. If you bought it before that, it's half price. It's a $20.1995 upgrade uh, if you have Pathfinder 4. So this is Pathfinder 5 from CocoTech at CocoTech.com. Nice. I was looking at their page. I see some nice uh, subversion plugin yep. and some other things there. Yep. Yep. Can you, can you toss me a code or something there? I, yeah, I don't have a code no, yet. No, I know you did. Oh, <laughs> uh, did I? No, not for this one. No, I don't have a, I don't have a, a license code for this. I'm just using my 30-day free trial. But uh, ah. but we'll, we'll, we can get review codes if we, want to, uh, if we want to move on with it, I'm sure. Let's get started. Yeah. I like it. Okay, yeah, so cool. where are we going? We are going to... We should talk about James. We've had this one kind of in the, in the queue for... Several weeks, and it's it's a it's a topic. And despite that, what the lawyer said, we're gonna talk about this, that's right? So James says, "I'm currently ripping all of my CDs and DVDs to my Mac using iTunes and Handbrake, respectively. I was just curious if you know of any software that would allow me to copy the DVD in its entirety, menus, special features, and all, instead of just copying the movie. I'd appreciate any input." Okay, uh, so yeah, the idea is you can do this, and. There's a couple of utilities, right? First of all, Disk Utility will do it. Uh, you can make an image of the DVD and Disk Utility and then burn that image off to another DVD. Um, the, there, there's a couple of issues. Number one, if it's protected, uh, then Disk Utility won't do it. Uh, you'll have to use a piece of software <sighs> like Mac the Ripper. And you, need, of course, need to check with your local uh, you know, ordinances and all that before you, uh, before you embark down this path. Uh, but... Uh, if it's protected, you're going to need to use Mac the Ripper to to rip it to your machine. What What's cool about that is Mac the Ripper will create uh, a folder that will have an audio underscore TS and a video underscore TS file that looks just like the DVD. And you huh. can you can point disc. Uh, sorry, not disc player. DVD player to that folder. Uh, so you can play the DVD right off your hard drive, or if you save it off to like a Drobo or, a, you know, some network volume or something, you can play right from there and you'll get all those menus. Uh, if you want to burn it back to a disc, uh, again, a couple of caveats. If the DVD is dual layer, it will be larger than 4.7 gigabytes, which is the size of a single layer DVD. Most Macs these days will burn dual layer discs, but you have to buy the media. And that media is, I think, about, still about three times the price, maybe more uh, than single layer media. So, you know, you might want to use something like I, I use DVD 2110. So it's DVD, the number two, O-N-E-X, uh, to take those those, uh, you know, large video files and shrink them down to fit on a 4.7 gigabyte disc. And, and when you do that, you can strip out all the, you know, if, if you, if it's got French and Spanish in there and all you want is English, you can rip those out and, uh, and make more room for the movie and it'll compress the movie, um, dynamically to, to, you know, give it as, as much quality as it can while still fitting on that 4.7 gigabyte disc. I don't believe disc utility will burn a video TS folder back. I think you have to use toast to do that. Uh, that's certainly what I use. And uh, you burn it as a UDF format disc, and it works. So, 
Any thoughts no, on that, John? Um, one thought is you kind of tap dance around the whole legality thing. I did. Based did on what like I that? know, at least in the... Uh, no, I didn't, because I want to talk about this, and I'm going to shake Good. my fist at you and the whole industry. Good. According to law, at least in the U.S., it is currently, last I checked, Dave, help me out, but it is illegal to duplicate a DVD because what you are doing is you're violating, and I wish I remembered the law. DMCA? DM, uh, Digital Millennium Copyright Act? Yes. Yep. Thank you. We're, we're such a good team. <laughs> so this law says you are not allowed to circumvent technology meant to protect copyrighted works. I think that's the gist of it, right, Dave? It, it, I, uh, that is the interpretation that some people have of that law. Yes. Yes. So, uh, and they actually tried, and, and there were a bunch of scholars and, and other smart people that tried to talk to the, the group coming up with this saying, can you make an exception for backups guys? Because people buy a DVD sometimes for dollars or tens or maybe hundreds of dollars. If you get a big old collection, right? Why shouldn't you have the right to circumvent the copy protection, which is pretty much on all commercial DVDs with studios and make a backup like you can with most pieces of software. Well, uh, based on what I saw when they last, uh, you know, tried to run this up the flagpole, it, it got knocked down. <laughs> the flag was ripped from the pole and they said, sorry, no, we can't make that exception for you people. You're a criminal because you want to back up your movie that you, oh, I'm sorry, you don't own it. You license it. I, I right. forget the mindset of these people. And I do mean these people. Take it. <laughs> so here's the thing, though. I, I, I agree with you. That That is how I understand the the genesis of the DMCA to have happened. But I don't believe there has been any case where someone who backed up their DVDs has been tried and convicted of any crime. Uh, and I don't believe they want to try that because it will get the whole DMCA yanked if they do it. Because I, I'm pretty sure that if, if you push it as far as the Supreme Court, it's going to get there and they're going to say, well, yeah, this, yeah. this law the thing is ridiculous. Right. right now, it's pretty much at the nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Right. Here's a utility that lets you do this. We somehow got the key that lets us decrypt the DVD. Just don't tell anybody. Right. And, uh, but also don't be too blatant in well, if you, if advertising you the a, fact that you give people the ability to do this. Otherwise, right. they will come down and they will give you the big smackdown with all their lawyers. If so, you make a copy of it and sell it, well, then you deserve oh, that, to be prosecuted. Well, uh, in, my, you and I, in my opinion. Well, even yeah. you and I, Dave, back in our day. Uh, and we I never guess, did. You know, yeah, we never sold anything. No, That's you right. and I only uh, liberated things because it was a technical challenge. Correct. Not that we were making boatloads of money because oh, we, cause we weren't. <laughs> right. Basically, our challenge was, and you remember our, our friends, I who do. can crack this first? Right. Dude, if I get you a copy of this, can you crack it and then, you know, put me on the title page? Cool. Right. Okay. That's my motivation. That was it the wasn't, motivation. And, and, yes. and to me, I think, and most people who traveled in our circle, Someone who sold something like the someone who pirated and sold it, oh, yeah. they deserve to be taken down. That that's breaking absolutely. a code that I think should not be broken. That's I agree. Just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. All right back back on the on the track. <laughs> if we can find it. How are we doing? Oh, we're doing good time wise here. Um. All right. You know we've had this tip in the queue for a while too, so we're gonna we're gonna move this out. We talked about deleting pesky files uh, a number of shows ago, John, and Michael wrote in uh, back in the middle of June talking about, he says, sometimes I get the busy file even after reboot. We had suggested 
you know, put it in the trash, reboot, come back around. You can empty it. You're good to go. Uh, I found that what has worked for me when the reboot fails to let me empty the trash is uh, when the reboot fails is to empty the trash, restart, then secure delete. That seems to have worked every time I've had this problem. Uh, And that's his that's his story. And he's sticking to it now to secure delete. You go to uh, the finder menu and choose secure empty trash. And it will pop up a dialogue that says, are you sure you want to erase the items in the trash permanently using the secure empty trash? Now, my understanding is that this simply deletes it and then overwrites where that file was to ensure that that data is less easily recovered. Um, But uh, but apparently, based on Michael's experience, there is uh, it does something a little bit different. And and I don't know what that is, but uh, but it's worth trying if you have a file that. Well, I think you're on the right track. I think I'm wondering if it does a more forceful. Yeah, that could be delete because it's like, you know, I'm going to wipe you out anyway. So, you know, just yeah, I don't know. And it's probably doing a a, a similar to disutility where there's like a DOD level delete. I think there are you can do one seven and thirty five rewrites when you drive a disutility. So this is, I think, a form of that. I'm sure it doesn't do the thirty five rewrite thing because that's just crazy. But it, it, it at the very least, it scrambles the data, probably using a, a known pattern so that, as you said, Dave, it, it, you can't easily pick this data up because a lot of times when you delete, you're just not you're just marking a directory entry saying, OK, if you need to use this, fine, but it doesn't touch the data at all. So. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, another thing to, to mention here is that when you go to the finder menu, you see empty trash and secure empty trash. And they both have ellipses after them, which means that you're going to get a dialogue. Uh, and you pointed this out, John. I, I, I found this invaluable. If you're in the UI, I'll, I'll restate what you said a couple of months ago. If you're in the UI and you see uh, an option, either a button or a menu item that has three dots, the ellipses after it, it means that you are going to get another display, either a, a preference pane or you know some other dialogue before the option that you've chosen uh, is executed. So if you see empty trash with three dots or secure empty trash, you know that you're going to get some kind of confirmation dialogue. Very handy. You know, However, brother, what's that? Uh, I'm sorry. We think alike because I was going to toss that in the ellipsis. Yeah. And actually it aggravates me when I see people that are on a budget write software and they don't follow mm. the guidelines like putting, because to me that, that warns me, you know, something's coming. This is not, the end of the world. Right. I'm not going to empty your trash. I'm going to ask you at least one more question. Right. Uh, when people don't follow that, that's really dangerous. But it is dangerous. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. So you, if you hold down the option key, and, and the best way to, to really kind of see this is open up that finder menu and let it sit open and then hold down the option key. You'll see that as you hold it down, the ellipses goes away from empty trash and secure empty trash. And what that means is it's just going to go. But there's one more thing that happens. It will blow through any files that it that if there was a file that was locked and it said it couldn't empty that uh, if it has the permissions to delete it, it will simply delete it. If it doesn't, it's not going to warn you. It's just going to leave it in the trash. So holding down the option key with with these pesky files may indeed get them uh, may may blow them away. So so that's yet another thing to try is is holding down the option key. That is, you know, I think I've actually seen a warning message sometimes saying 
you know, I can't delete this, but if you hold this key down, maybe I'll, I'll that's try right. a little harder. That's nice. right. Yep. That's a good yep. one. All right. Uh, should we do Chris or should we move on to Simon, John? Uh, let's see. I, uh, we're going to Chris. Simon. All right. We're doing Chris. You do said Chris. it. Okay. Here it is. I got to find uh, the email. Here it is. Chris says, hi, guys. I'm having a problem with iPhone sync freezing up when the status reads syncing contacts in iTunes. I've searched around a bit and haven't been able to find a solution. I'm running iTunes 8 and iPhone OS 3.0. After a restart of both the iPhone and my MacBook Pro, sync will work, but only once. Subsequent syncs require another round of reboots. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. All right, John, I'll let you take this and then I might have some ideas too. I'm going to take it a little bit. Now, I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. I can't see this menu because I don't have a device plugged into either computer right now. Okay. But one place you want to look is in iTunes. When the device is mounted, you'll see it under the device tab, I guess. Uh, you click on it, and there'll be a number of tabs on the top. So in the case of an iPhone or an iPod. And there is a info tab, I believe. I'm, I'm going by my notes here. And there is a entry, sync address book contacts, which it sounds like that's what it's trying to do. Right. As a diagnostic step, I would uncheck that. Try again. If it still screws up, then you have, uh, if it still screws up, well, if it doesn't, then your data is bogus. Then you got a problem with your data file. And then I'll suggest something maybe to, to help out with that. Um, now, the other thing is you want to make sure, and I noticed this, there's a bunch of other things in there, which you may want to make sure it's not trying to do these, but I haven't noticed these. I haven't looked in this section of iTunes in a while, Dave. They're, they're constantly adding little, you know, all sorts of little, little yes. interesting features in addition to features to break pre-syncing, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> but they, uh, yeah, they played some dirty pull too. Anyways, eh, we'll talk about that later maybe. So, but there are some settings. I saw Yahoo address book and sync Google contacts. Make sure those aren't checked and that it's not sitting there getting all confused. But then I noticed an advanced section and there is a setting that says replace info on this iPod contacts if all else fails you may want to try that and just see if doing that replace operation will wipe the data and somehow get you in a good sync state again so those are my few suggestions not having run into this but things you can try to determine whether the problem is on your ipod or the data file or you just want to go for broke and just wipe it out and try to start again okay uh so i have a couple of ideas one is I, I think your your last suggestion is is probably the closest to to getting this resolved once and for all. My my nuke thought is pave. that yeah, because it it gets close to that nuke and pave, right? If he reboots, uh, you know, which involves quitting iTunes and then restarting the OS. So what happens when we quit iTunes? Well, when we quit iTunes, it saves out its own preferences. Uh, maybe maybe quitting iTunes and relaunching would solve his problem. We don't know, but we also know that as part of a reboot. Some, not all, but some cache file files are deleted and then recreated on the way back up. So there might be some cache file. Now, it might not be an iTunes cache file. It might be a sync services cache file, because that's really what's tapping in here, right? Is sync services is this underlying thing. It's this, you know, it's this behemoth. And 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 there's some I, I wish I could remember what it was, but there's some uh, <laughs> 
code where in there where it says, you know, that thou shalt not ever touch anything inside the sync uh, databases because you'll blow your world up. Uh, it, it's <laughs> it, it. Apple put this in there. It, it's actually very, very uh, funny, but very true that the, the sync store is this, you know, thing that you just don't ever want to get involved with. And it sounds like that might actually be corrupted here. So, you know, as far as you can, you can pave this the better uh, one thing to try would be to go into the sync preference pane, mobile, me, sorry, the mobile me preference pane, and then go to sync and then tell it to go and wipe out mobile me. Now, it, you know, wipe out your contacts on mobile me. If in fact you have mobile me, if you don't, then you've got to kind of get involved in, in this app. That's part of developer tools called sync respector. You can also try using the iSync app that John mentioned before. And I'm going to pull it up here because uh, I'm sort of thinking about this on the fly. I've, I've dealt with a lot of sync issues over time. And there is something, if you open up the iSync app and I believe iSync is in the applications utilities folder. Is that right? Nope. nope just it's just in the applications. Okay. Uh, if you go in and go to that dialogue we were talking about before, where it says uh, in the preferences, there is an advanced option that says reset sync history. This will blow away a lot of those cache and history files that iSync maintains. It will not delete your data, but it will force all future syncs or the next round of future syncs to kind of start from scratch as opposed to building on their previous uh, incantations. And that might help. Uh, so I would, you know, try, try this. You could also try running a utility like Onyx and cleaning your caches. Uh, that might help as well. But I think, I think, you know, the, the, the fact that a reboot or at least a quit and relaunch of iTunes, but, a, you know, the fact that a reboot is makes things better once leads me to believe that there's something sort of buried deep in the system that that's not happy. And, and this reset sync history thing could, could very well do it before you do any of this stuff. Make a backup of your uh, contacts and those are going to live. And I would make a backup of your calendars, too, because when you reset sync history, it all starts going away. But if you go into a dress book and you go to uh, export file export, you can do an address book archive and it will back that up for you. So uh, that that's those are my thoughts on the on the subject. John. That was actually a good one. I'm glad we didn't skip that. Yeah. Well, you know, I got some thoughts, Dave. And the one thought I have is, what if I was listening to this podcast and I wanted to get in touch with us? Well, you'd, you'd light a fire and <laughs> and you'd start doing smoke signals. Now, there's a couple of different ways to... No, never mind. Uh, you'd call 206-666-GEEK, which John is... 4335. Or you can email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com. Yeah, now those emails to feedback at MacGeekGab.com are, are interesting because you certainly can send text, and we've read plenty of text tonight. But since iPhone OS 3.0 has come out, we've started to get a lot more comments, audio comments, that have been recorded with the Voice Memos app on the iPhone. Once you record a voice memo, you can email it right from there and uh, type in feedback at MacGeekGab.com, and it comes in. You can hear the quality on the show is much better than it than when you know somebody records over the phone. Uh, so, you know, if you've got the ability to do that with your uh, with your iPhone or, or even iPod touch, right? The new iPod touches with the microphone. Sure. That'll work. If you have a microphone. Yeah. You know, what, Dave, it sounds marvelous. Oh, it sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Fernando. And how else? Uh, you know, there's a, you know, www.macgeekab.com where you can, you know, get right to the Web page that shows you all of the episodes. Yep. Um, 
you know, if you're into the Twitter thing, which I heard is jump the shark. But anyways, if you're still on Twitter, I'm John Efron. Dave is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. And of course, you can look at the official MacGeekab feed at MacGeekab and and the fountain of knowledge, all Mac knowledge. Uh, Mac Observer also has a feed. And I don't know if there are any other TMO feeds. That I, think, I think that's about as that's, a, that's all we need. That's I think there's it. Mac Observer Live that we use during oh. keynotes and that sort of thing. But that's that, that's a dormant feed. So uh, until, you know, until it sparks up for a day Oh, well, speaking of a little bit. Yeah. Boy, did they just kick serious butt with their results. Mm-hmm. They are. To, you know, uh, uh, all I noticed is that, you know, when Apple kicks butt and Microsoft is sucking wind, <laughs> you know, oh, my gosh. Yeah. They are just executing you know, just well, they're two different steady. companies, right? I mean, Microsoft is very much a software company. Apple is more a hardware company and arguably becoming less of a computer company, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're in the cell phone business. So, well, yeah, I think now, I mean, we saw this point a while ago is that more than half the revenue comes from the, shall we call it entertainment sector, which right. I would include the movies, the the music and the, uh, the devices, right. uh, iPod and iPhone. And then you got the computers, which still, they sold a couple of million computers. Yep. But their income and their revenue, and yeah, you know, Microsoft, to me, the whole challenge is, other than, I think, Office and Windows, what do you got that's making money anyway? Right. Well, they have Bing. (laughs) You know that, but they're dealing with the 600-pound gorilla or the six-ton gorilla or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Though I, I, you know, actually, I have had pretty favorable results i I will say bing does not suck oh no bing doesn't suck and i'm looking here to get today's results but there have been many days where we get more traffic referred to tmo from bing than we do from google (gasps) um wow yeah today it's uh they're about neck and neck um but yeah within you know within a couple of percentage points so people are definitely using bing even mac users or at least people interested in the mac so Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, you know, it's a good thing because Google's pretty good, but yeah, they're not you know, perfect. You want, you, you, I don't think anybody wants their all their eggs in one basket. Right, right. So hey, where are we? So that was y- kinda... you know where we are is is we're we're now going to jump our own shark and talk about the same thing four <laughs> shows in a row. Um, and I'm gonna Sweet. let I'm gonna let Oscar's question lead us into the SSD realm again, but. Uh, but really, the reason we're leading ourselves here is because, John, you, you've actually uh, dumped some you took you took our discussions and and you now have the physical manifestation I of did them. It. So let's uh, let's let uh, let's let Oscar lead the charge here. Hello, gentlemen. My name is Oscar Simmons. I'm stationed in Stuttgart, Germany. I have two follow up questions to your last podcast regarding SSD and express card slots. I did go ahead and pick up a 48 gigabyte WinTech off of the recommendation of one of your previous callers. And on one of the reviews of that drive, a customer mentioned being able to carbon clone his system and application folders over to the SSD to speed up the start and application launch times. My follow-up then is he mentions using a control click to be able to access his home directory on the spindle drive, but I'm not sure how that's accomplished. If you could provide any amplification, I would appreciate it. The second question is, when those files are moved over, does that also move over the 
virtual disk in case you run out of RAM. And as you were talking, the continuous reading and writing and um, defragmentation might harm the drive. Uh, is there a method by which you could keep the virtual disk, uh, virtual RAM, if you will, put back on the spindle to prevent uh, long-term uh, damage to the drive? Thanks for your time. Enjoy the podcast. You have a great day. Okay, uh, John. So let, let's before we oh, let me pause Wes here. Uh, before we dive into Wes's questions, why don't you talk about what you uh, what you went ahead and purchased and, and how you're using it? Great, because I don't think I can dive too deep, but we we may. So, anyways, what I got is uh, while you were away, you know, lounging about in the sun and, and the water and all that, is I got. Uh, you had challenged me. You're like, John, what are you doing with your express card slot in right. my, uh, my machine? And I'm like, nothing. So I went online. I went to, I think it was Amazon, and I ordered a Sonnet. Uh, they call it a 21-in-1, though that's kind of pushing it. It's basically an express card to SD card uh, memory reader. Writer. Okay. So now the thing you have to know, and so here is where, you know, I kind of geeked out express card does a number of things. So express card 34 specifically, because I think it's 34 millimeters wide and there are a couple of different express cards. So the one on the Mac is express card 34. Here's the key. It can look like one of two interfaces for the most part, or I think entirely USB 2.0, which is 480 megabits per second. Oh, yes. Okay. Or PCI express. Oh, which is about a gigabit per second. Ah. Now, the device that I bought was a USB 2. Now, the nice thing about this is that it didn't require a driver. I just took one of my SD cards, uh, a 16 gig card, class four. I'm going to explain what that means because that gets to be a really gray area. Okay. And I tried to install OS 10 on it. It's a 16 gigabyte SDHC, which is high capacity, which I guess means 16 gigs is... A lot, though they're getting bigger. Uh, I uh, I'm not sure the limit, but anyways, to move on. So what I did is I plugged in the SD card, formatted it as a GUID. I think that it insists that I did I do that, and then I installed OS 10, and it installed. Because when you plug this in with the SD card, it's a USB drive, and of course OS 10, or at least you know on the latest hardware, you can boot from an OS 10 part uh, from a USB partition. Right. Or USB drive. So I installed OS X. It took about an hour because this card, now this is a class four card that writes at about 15 megabytes a second. And it did maintain that throughput. But in the grand scheme of things, that is relatively slow. slow for memory. Now, what I did find is that if you look at the SD space or the CF compact flash space, now my, my card does not do CF, but I have found express card 34 that do CF. Now, they have a weird way of rating these. So, so class four SD cards can go, basically a better way to measure it is a rating. And the rating that you have on cards is an X rating. So the, the, the fastest that I've seen for an SD card is a 300X card, and that's 45 megabytes per second. Hmm. So that's way faster than what I have now. What I have is a class four, I believe it's a class four card. And it's kind of fuzzy between class four and class six. The problem is those are not precise enough measures to measure the throughput. You really want to look at the X rating, okay. whether it be a hundred X. So a hundred X card is 15 megabytes per second. Okay. 300 X is 45 megabytes per second. So you can get a sense for the, the relative speed of these. 
Now, with 300X card, they exist, but they're not very large right now, and they get to be, you know, pricey, not thousands, but maybe hundreds of dollars. What I want to get, so, so I tried a little test with a 16-gig card that was a Class 4 card, uh, about 15 megabytes per second. The problem is that's not quite large enough to hold OS ten. Because after I installed and I tried to run a software update, I maybe had three gigs free and I tried to apply a software update that was about a gig. Right. But it said, oh, sorry, I don't I don't have enough scratch space. I can't uh, do this for you. Uh, so 16 gigs, at least for OS ten levered, is too small. So I'm looking for a 32 gig card. Now, here's the problem. The fast cards are only maybe 8 or 16 gigs, at least the SD form factor, unless I look to CF. So you can see I'm having a, a funnel geeky time here because yeah, well, there's why don't, this whole why don't you matrix. Just get, get rid of the, the card, get, 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 a, you know, get one of those 48 gig SSD drives that just goes in the express card slot and bypass this whole SD card fiasco that you got going because on. Because I want to... Because I'm on this path. I'm okay. All right. That, no, that's going that's, down this path. That's a fair. That's a fair answer. I like that. That's Just good. because I'm learning. Right? No, I agree with you. I could get that. Of course, now I have a nice SD reader. Which now right. the only problem with these readers is almost universally, unless someone, one of our listeners knows. Please let me know. The card juts out a bit. That's it does not plug all the way in. I have not. I, I've seen two different ones: the SanDisk and the Sonnet one. Yep. And based on what I've read, I think almost all of these are designed that way. Which I can't imagine somebody, unless you just don't have the real estate, can make it so that you can stuff the SD card all the way in there. Because if this is in your your travel bag, you may snap that sucker off. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all I'm saying is that it's feasible. I installed OS X. I was able to boot. It was snappy for a 15 megabyte per second card. I want to get a higher speed and a higher capacity card. Now, of course, the other thing is uh, you and I, Dave, uh, you know, to talk more about the, the space here, uh, our friends at Crucial, who is known for making memory, and apparently they sent out a press release a couple of weeks ago, and they now have a 256 gig SSD with pretty reasonable, I think, in the 100 megabyte per second transfer for both read and write yeah. for $600. 200, 240 meg per second read uh, and 215 meg per second writes, I think. That's awesome. Based on the specs that I've seen of yeah. what's out in the field, that's... That's up there. That's up there. And 600 bucks, that's a pretty competitive price point. Now, we've also that's seen more, some that's, of, that's cheaper. and It's about as fast and cheaper, much cheaper than the Runcore. I think the Runcore is 900 bucks, right? It's 899 for the 256, whereas Crucial's right. is 600. So, yeah. So I'm now, sure this is not, just to be clear... Just to be clear, I know we're, you know, kind of mixing messages here. The, the Crucial Drive is not an express card drive. That is a hard drive replacement sized uh, device. Right. So just to just to put that out there. But uh, but they're very right. Mac friendly over there at Crucial. They did not used to be years ago, but they've, they've worked very hard. And they've even got if you go to their page for SSD drives and we'll put a link in the show notes, uh, you pick what Mac you have and uh, it'll actually show you the options that fit for your Mac. And you put, you know, you put 15 inch MacBook Pro 2.6 gigahertz and it says, yep, OK, here's what you can take. Uh, so yeah, those prices aren't bad, and I think it was three forty nine for a one twenty eight, um, which isn't you know something like that. Yeah, these prices are good. Yeah. And then one of our listeners uh, or a couple have alerted us to the fact because we were saying, how big can you get? And based on the latest information that we've re received, I think OZC and, and another company, there are one terabyte SSDs, but you're probably going to be forking over a, over three thousand dollars, right? 
Right. But if you got the dough and you want a terabyte in an SSD that performs well, that's go crazy, for it, man. And let us know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, let us know. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to listen to this in five or 10 years and just Laugh. chuckle because yeah. a terabyte will be like, you know, a quarter or something. All right, so let's let's wrap this up, and we'll we'll I'll answer Oscar's questions because I did a little research here while uh, while we were chatting. Go so further. number one, how to change the location of the home directory? There's a macOS 10 hints article that uh, that talks to the you know what appears to be a very Apple sanctioned way of doing this. There there is a clear way of doing it. It involves going into um, I, I believe you go into the, the network uh, sorry system preferences into accounts and and do it that way. But anyway. You've got uh, it, you've got it. It's out there. Uh, in fact, Dan Frakes submitted it uh, also of, of the same IDG worlds uh, over there. So that that's number one. We'll put that uh, procedure link out there. Number two is how do we move the virtual memory swap file location? There is no Apple sanctioned way of doing this, but there is a way of doing it. Uh, and there's a hint or a tip over at Accelerate Your Mac uh, that talks about you have to edit the dynamic pager plist file and uh, and Yeesh. go change that. Yeah, you know it 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 looks worse than it is. It, it it's a pretty straightforward change. You just go in and change one line and and uh, uh, and you should be good to go. So uh, those those questions should those answers should help you with your uh, with your question there, Oscar. And I think that uh, that kind of wraps this up there. The band, they must have been sweating, dude. No, they took they took five. Actually, they took ten. So. <laughs> it was oh man, we we were a little little uh, toasty here today. It, yeah, it was nineties. I think we saw nineties. Yeah, it was muggy today. It was gross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, we talked about how to find us uh, on October eleventh. You can find me in person and uh, at the P Mug meeting at Princeton, New Jersey. I will be giving Sweet. Uh, a little presentation there on my running your Mac lean, clean, and mean. And then we've got questions uh, from the audience. And uh, John, maybe we'll do a Skype hookup for some of that. I'll call in. Know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's, something let's, like that. let's figure it out. Um, but they, they, that'll be fun. I'll do that on August 11th, which is a Tuesday night. So please do, if you're in the area, come down, say hi. And then uh, I think afterwards there's... Yeah. We're, going, we're all going out for pizza or something. I don't know. Wow. Now, are there any other events coming up, Dave? There is. There's Blog World Expo, October 15th through 17th in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, you can get 20% off of your um, admission by using Observer VIP, O-B-S-E-R-V-E-R-V-I-P. You are a VIP to us. You're a VIP to them. So Observer VIP gets you 20% off iPhonealley.com is where you can find everything else that Michael Johnston does when he's not busy, converting the podcast to AAC for you. Cashfly Hosting, they provide all the bandwidth to get this podcast right to your computer or iPhone or iPod or whatever it is. The podcast marketplace includes, of course, the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and Pathfinder 5 from Coco Tech, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. You got anything else, John, before we wrap this one up? I'm just glad to see you back, man. It's good to be back. I, yeah, it was good to be away. You know, I, 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 I'm very lucky because for me, a week of vacation actually feels longer than that. And I don't know why that is. I'm not really interested in figuring out why that is. But uh, 
But I, you know, I get to like Wednesday of a vacation week, and I think, wow, it's like I still got time to hang and chill out before I have to go back to the back to work. And I was checking in a little bit. I had some stuff going on here that uh, I couldn't completely detach from. Well, sometimes I get to detach completely. This was not not one of those, but it was it was a, a great balance actually. It, it worked out really well. So. Uh, but it's, but it, you know, as, as nice as it was to be away, it's great to be back. So, uh, all right, that's it. We're out of here. Mm-hmm. Did you have a nice week off, John? It was very relaxing. Good. Thanks for subscribing, everybody, and uh, don't get caught. Made up.